Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I make a decision. A decision is a very, very tough decision, but I have to leave. And then... I took the journey. Humanity is capable of acts of immeasurable compassion, but also seemingly limitless horror and violence. One in every hundred of us has been displaced from our homes by conflict, persecution and tyranny. Most are internally displaced, but there are 26 million refugees driven from their country's borders. Now you wouldn't think it hearing from the rants of politicians and pundits, but just 15% of those refugees are hosted by rich nations. The rest are in poorer countries with the least resources to look after humanity's most vulnerable. These are often people who speak English, often because their nations were once ruled by the British Empire, or they've got relatives and networks here in the United Kingdom. Refugees and migrants have long been scapegoated for injustices and problems caused by the powerful. Former city trader Nigel Farage is among those who build their political career by stoking fear towards those refugees and migrants. And the Conservatives, in charge of our government, play to their base by doing the same. They even considered sending refugees to a processing centre on a remote island at the Atlantic Ocean, more than 4,000 miles away. But we don't very often hear from refugees themselves. Their stories, their experiences, that has to change. Last year, only one in every 20 asylum seekers arrived by boats, some of them here in Folkestone. Walking around, I can see that, like many coastal towns, it's struggled with cuts to public services and a lack of investment. It's easy for that anger to be redirected to refugees. But there's nothing new about people fleeing their countries because of danger. Folkestone is proud of its history. You can see it in the memorials for World War I and II dotted around the town, and amongst them is a plaque by the sea that remembers refugees who fled Belgium at the start of World War I. I met up with Bridget Chapman from Kent Refugee Action to hear about that history. So in August of 1914, Germany invades Belgium and people are displaced because that's what happens when there's, when there's war. And many people, probably about 250,000 people in all, came across the Channel in small boats to escape that war. And... On the busiest day, 14,000 people arrived here in Folkestone. And I don't understand how we could deal with 14,000 people on one day and be generous and welcoming. And now we've got to a stage where 10,000 people over two years is called an invasion by Nigel Farage. We're scared of bedraggled, semi-hypothermic people arriving in dinghies as if they're some kind of invading army. And I just don't understand invading army. It sounds sinister, frightening and full of danger. But these are really just people who are fleeing danger. But what happens to many of them when they get here is genuinely disturbing. In today's Folkestone, asylum seekers are crammed together in the old Napier military barracks. Their conditions are truly appalling. Last month, 
there was a reported attempted suicide by one of the men kept in a virtual open prison surrounded by barbed wire. While refugee campaigners have assembled here in solidarity with the semi-incarcerated, so have small numbers of far-right extremists demanding their expulsion. I spoke to one asylum seeker, an Iranian who fled the country fearing death after he converted from Islam to Christianity. We've got to protect his anonymity for fear of damaging his asylum application or his security. What I heard was shocking. 14 people live together in the one building. We have in the night, we want to sleep, we can't, because 14 people coming from 14 different cultures. In the night, someone don't want to sleep. Someone wants to pray. Someone wants to listen to music. Some people coming from another culture wants to speak together, speak with very high volume. You think 24 hours, 10 people, near to your ear, speak together, wow, 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 one hour, two hours, three hours, you're going to crazy. But we don't have any choice. Someone in the night have a sex together. I don't like to hear sex voice. I don't like this. Someone in the night masturbation. I don't like to, to hear this voice. This is vo really, really, this is bad for me. No one care about us. 14 people live together like animal. I don't know. Home of his think we are animal. Why these people live in this situation? If someone can to come inside, okay, he, he can see this situation. Now we are two, men, two months here. Nothing different for first day after 60 days, nothing changed. And I know after again 60 days, nothing changed. We have a mental problem. All people here upset. All people is nervous. For example, I using the medicine for my sleeping because in the night I can't sleeping. I had a nightmare in the night. I have so many problems. My mind is not uh, comfortable. All the day I'm thinking what happened for me. Can you tell me about your your state of mind at the moment, your your mental health, how you're how you're feeling emotionally? Where are you at, at the moment? For example, uh, now I'm just thinking what happened for me. If I back in Iran, what happened for me? Because government in Iran every day make made the problem for my family, for my dad. I think in. In these two years, now, near two years, I'm out to Iran. In these two years, more than four or five times, government made problem for my father, for my brothers, treat all my family. We kill your boys, we kill. If we find... I don't know. I felt pretty ashamed talking to him. That someone who's fled terrible danger is being so badly mistreated by my country. Back in town, 
I meet with another refugee who's made Folkestone his home, Kadir, an Iraqi Kurdish poet, whose life has been punctured by war and suffering that, to be totally honest, I couldn't even begin to understand. When he was young, Saddam Hussein's dictatorship, then backed by the West, waged war on the Kurds. There was the Iran-Iraq War of the 1980s, in which hundreds of thousands perished, the Gulf War of 1991, and a punitive UN sanctions regime in the 1990s. Finally, in the late 90s, Qadir left Iraq and began a perilous journey to Britain through Iran, Turkey and Greece. Along the way, he kept a diary. July 1999. And that's in Dover. And I found this story very moving indeed. You can't see anything. You, something in your eyes is a dark. You, uh, you can't see any light things or any, any, uh, any ground to say, I'm going to follow my dream and um, I will choose my life to be like this over there. No, because your destiny is uh, stop. You can't think, you can't dream, you can't plan for your life. How can this be? No. When I make a decision is uh, to come abroad, to migrant, to be honest, I didn't like, and it, isn't, it wasn't my choice, because uh, half of my life, 30 years on my ages, it was over there. In our culture, they call us uh, the journey between life and death. And a lot of people, they lost their life over there. A lot of people. And uh, when you cross the border, you have to pray <laughs> to get another life. When I told you this is a this is a journey between death and life, I saw in my eyes not uh, not just I'm creating a story or something. No, no. Did you ever have moments? specific moments on the journeys where you feared you might die? Yeah. What, what kind of moments? What, what caused those moments? Uh, on the journey, we took the, uh, the track, or the train, train track, and we don't have any option, and we have to through, uh, get through the tunnel. And tunnel is very long. And... Uh, we are just walking, running. One, uh, I just fell down on the track, and all my friends, they go out. Some of them just, kept, just come back to me, and it, uh, he took my hand, and we will pass. When we went outside, after one minute, the train is coming inside. I saw this. If, no, if this, this kind of friend, if it's not, he's coming, not coming back to me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let me tell you something. There was an economic crash and a lot of money was lost. His mates in the city farted. Nigel Farage is pointing at immigrants and the disabled and holding his nose. Our media has built up demagogues like Nigel Farage and racist thugs like Tommy Robinson. The rhetoric of the media and politicians has consequences. Racially and religiously aggravated hate crimes have soared. Over 76,000 were recorded in England and Wales last year. Get back to Africa! <laughs> but despite this toxic atmosphere, we always hear that same question thrown at us. Why do refugees come here? Why don't they stay in, say, France? I say that um, we don't do anything like our fair share. That, you know, people talk about stop, people should stop in the first safe country. Most refugees do stop in the first safe country, which is why some of the poorest countries in the world have the biggest refugee populations. Lebanon has a refugee population of one and a half million, on landmass about 6% the size of the UK. France, I think, takes four times as many asylum applications as we do. Germany takes 10 times as many. We're the fifth biggest economy in the world, and we're currently number 26 in terms of the amount of refugees that we accept. We can afford it. We abs- and, and, you know, I really get frustrated with this dichotomy or this false dichotomy that's presented of we should look after our own first, we should look after homeless people, we should look after veterans. It's not a choice. It's not either or. We can absolutely afford to do both and, and we should do both. Before I came here, I have an, uh, a knowledge about the, by the English literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a lot of Shakespearean work. Macbeth, Othello, Twelfth Night, and uh, Hamlet, King Lear, and first year of high school we study Kipps, which is the writer here in Foxton. Wow. Uh, yeah, and second year we start uh, Dickens, Oliver Twist. In the midnight I arrived in the UK in the town called Dover, and I introduced myself to the police over there, and they took me to immigration, and this is a kingdom, this is a place where the Tins Eliot, William Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, I reached the Oliver Twist's place. Oliver Twist's place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a, a kind of thing. Britain's not just exported culture, there's a much darker side too. I ask Adair about Britain's colonial history. Uh, after First World War, when the Ottoman Empire collapsed and uh, the uh, Britain and France and Italy come across over there the colonialism and uh, they go by the agreement called Sykes Bico. Mark Sykes, George Bico, which is a two foreign minister, France and UK and Britain, they divided or they slipped in Kurdistan for four peace. But uh, all the things that happen uh, when you say why the people has come here. You have to, you have to ask this country why they go over there. He's right, of course. There's so much more anger about desperate people coming here with nothing 
than the British state sending bullets, bombs and tanks abroad. That's not the only thing erased from this conversation. Britain would be unrecognisably different without refugees arriving here over many centuries. But I don't think it's a history you often hear about. That included the Huguenots well over three centuries ago, including the ancestors of Patrick Mirin. He's a passionate supporter of the campaign to defend refugees and he runs a bookshop here in Folkestone. So they came here with the influx of uh, people from at the end of the 17th century. So this, these were Protestants in France yeah. who were persecuting the wars of religion? Yes, indeed. So they indeed. came here and they made it their home. And were they, do you know, were they welcomed when they came? The they were. They were... Uh, they were extremely welcomed. I mean, they were they were recognised as being, they were, generally speaking, prosperous, and uh, they were professional classes, I guess, or or or, or um, uh, artisans, and they were very skilled. They brought their skills with them. They started uh, Sandwichwood, not very far from here, where they they started weaving and working with. The products we have, which was wool at the time, masses of it, and they made great with that. They and they did silk in London, and they they moved all over the country. Um, I was looking at famous Huguenots. Uh, even um, Winston Churchill had Huguenot blood in him. So there's there's, there's an enormous number of people that uh, that came from that influx of refugees that are now very important in English society. was a piece of um, anti-jingoism from the from 1704 right which is a satire by Daniel Defoe called the true born Englishman in which he lampoons the idea that anyone in England is a true born Englishman <laughs> we all came from somewhere else and the only person that really drives the idea of Englishness is the devil <laughs> and with his mistaken idea that our lot were here first, he goes through every range of people that have come here through all through the from the Normans onwards and uh, earlier, and lampoons lampoons the whole thing as being just a ridiculous idea, and the <laughs> the idea there is anybody who is actually a true-born Englishman. There is no one. We're all from somewhere else originally. And that, to me, strikes home that uh, it's, a, it's a truism that really is sadly forgotten all too often. That evening, we were due to meet Roger, a Sudanese refugee in person. But Britain remains in the grip of a deadly pandemic, of course, and she's been forced to self-isolate. So we've had to chat to her down the line to hear her thoughts and how refugees are treated in this country. I, I kind of born and grown up in a country with, with conflict, so I cannot really kind of recall times that in, while I was living in Sudan where it was all OK. When you hear newspapers and political parties blaming refugees and migrants for all the problems in society. How does that make you feel? Oh, um, look, we, we, we only human beings. 
and we like to be loved and we kind of don't like to be the people who are being kind of looked at as a source source of trouble and i don't think any human beings would kind of enjoy that feelings uh, if we could actually just look at the things from um, the point of human to human mm-hmm. um, we might be able to understand we might be able to relate and all I could actually hope for is for those people to try to connect with the people who actually has to uh, leave loved one behind, leave country and something that they they used to know, to come to try to learn and build on on things that they never kind of had experience before. You know, learning a language learning to kind of adapt to food, learning to adapt to environment and all those sort of things. It's not kind of the kind of the choice every human being will make it easy. And those people are not making a holiday. They are making a decision after quite a rough, tough times. And on most of the kind of the the times, most of them, they're not going to see their loved one again. Personal, uh, I talk from my own kind of experience. I actually had to grieve for my own close uh, people on my own, and uh, and kind of uh, I, you know, it's it's there isn't anything you can actually say you are okay. It's never okay, but it is a choice we had to do because we had to do it. How would you describe Folkestone? What what kind of community is Folkestone? Folkestone is home. It's the home that I've chosen. It's the only place that I actually have chosen to live in. I love my community. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm a people person. Uh, and I don't think if it's not uh, for the people who are surrounding me uh, that actually felt what I felt. We can't be without people. So uh, I love them. You know, you never know. I mean, life has a lot of um, unexpected things sometimes, but there is always going to be a place for Foxton in my heart. Uh, You know, whatever happens, they will always going to be there. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. That was really beautiful. This remains a world in which millions suffer violence and persecution on a daily basis. Some of that is Britain's own responsibility, either because of its colonial legacy or because of wars it's backed or directly taken part in and dictatorships it's actively supported. So few come to this country and yet every day I see so much energy being spent whipping up fear and hatred against refugees and blaming them for problems they've clearly got absolutely nothing to do with whatsoever. The one thing that's missing from this so-called debate is the humanity of refugees who've endured experiences which, thankfully, will remain unimaginable to most of us. As long as there's war and persecution, and of course the ever-escalating climate emergency, then people will be forced to flee their homes for safety and security. What I found in Folkestone was love and compassion. And the question is, will that or anger and hatred win out? And that, of course, remains up to us. 
The sky doesn't resemble my sky. The sky over there full of my childhood memory. This moon doesn't look like my moon. The moon over there lighting the night of love. Those stars, they don't look similar to my star. The star over there brightening the soul of kindness. The season, it doesn't look like my season. The season over there, you feel the color. You see the whiteness of winter, the greenness of spring, the yellow of autumn and the summer. In the end, we are human beings. Our blood is red. I want to get rid of those borders which make a separation between me and the others. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.